Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. Everything analytical in the NFL, we will discuss coming off of a underdog week six, maybe, at least for some of the matchups. Of course, we had the billing for game of the year in Chiefs Bills, which I will discuss to lead off this program. We had a name brand Sunday night football broadcast, which, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell everyone now didn't, didn't finish watching the whole game. Didn't make it through this one, but, um, but a very interesting uh, result there in a way because of some mistakes that we saw from Cooper rush that we had not seen before in the past and a lot else going on with playoff probabilities that I'll discuss shifting around here. All the advanced stats, my uh, adjusted scores, which you love or hate, depending upon what they say about your team. Um, but let's not get into too many of the intro sort of stuff here and get straight into the action. And again, we will start with what was being billed as the potential game of the year in Kansas City. The Buffalo Bills come to KC. An opportunity at the end here. First and 10. Mahomes intercepted. And that's Taron Johnson with the theft. Unbelievable. Von Miller breaks a double team and creates the pressure. And that's why you go get the clock. Yes, yes, yes. Patrick Mahomes intercepted to end the game. Less than a minute left. I'll talk about some of the clock management issues that I had with Andy Reid. I mean, it didn't make the difference probably in the end because of that interception there, but did have uh, some clock management issues with big red as I normally do on a week by week basis. Um, We're going to start with the number of the game, which I start with for every single game. Now it's one number that represents to me more than anything, what happened in this game. And we're going to go straight to these interceptions from Patrick Mahomes. And the number of the game is 30, which is the win probability percentage lost on two different Mahomes interceptions. This one at the end was extremely, I would say, uncharacteristic. Normally someone who has spatial awareness beyond almost anyone else, Patrick Mahomes. So to see an interception in this spot uh, for a short-range pass where, yeah, he was flush at the pocket, and a lot of people made a big deal about Von Miller, you know, earning his check, flushing him out. I mean, that's happened a billion times to Patrick Mahomes before, where he's flushed, he can move to his right, and he completes the pass. And it doesn't end up being a back-breaking interception like that with less than a minute to go. Uh, The other interception in the end zone, it was a third down. So I could see why he was pressing a little bit, trying to get the ball to um, MBS, throwing it up a bit. Uh, The rookie Elam makes the interception. But on those two plays, again, 30% win probability loss. One of them was negative 4.5 expected points. And the other one was negative 4.1. So in total, 8.6 massive mistakes, really the difference in the game. And the Bills, you know, they had a fumble on that uh, Isaiah McKenzie pitch, which is a bit of a weirder play. It was actually the most impactful play of the game at negative five EPA, but it was only a 7% win probability loss because of the situation at that point, because they were giving the ball up uh, to Kansas City deep on their side of the field. And because they were the favorite in this game. So it didn't fundamentally change on the first drive of the game what was going to happen here. But it's weird to say this. Um, But to me, we're getting to the point now where I thought the biggest differential between Allen 
and Mahomes. And the reason that I would lean Kansas City in a lot of cases, especially when the defense is playing well for Kansas City. So the difference between these two is you figure you can count on Mahomes not to make the backbreaking mistake, not to take the backbreaking sack, or better yet, not to take the backbreaking sack, which is also a backbreaking fumble or potentially backbreaking fumble. And these are all things that while Allen was had cleaned it up a ton from what he was doing early in his career, especially the strip sacks or the fumbles on running plays, he was still doing that a lot, even as much as last year. This year, he's really cleaned that up a lot. And when that narrows, because his upside, Allen passing the ball down the field, especially with the weapons that they have there, we saw Gabriel Davis again here um, going down the field. With that upside, what was bringing them together was really looking at the fact that you could, in past years, you could count on Allen maybe doing something a little bit weird, you know, especially the fumbles. Uh, not so easy to count on that again. I mean, the McKenzie play was a little bit weird, but I don't really know who to put it on. I believe we did not credit Allen with a turnover-worthy play, although, you know, maybe it was a turnover-worthy type of play, or at least partially so, uh, but we did not recognize it as such. Uh, let's get to the particulars of the game. You know, Buffalo, much was made of the fact they were two and a half point favorites in this game. So they end up covering 24 to 20. And my adjusted score, both teams are a lot higher on the adjusted scores, 32 to 27 uh, Buffalo. So about the same differential, but both teams a lot higher. If we saw what happened here. There were turnovers. Both teams were being consistently successful with their um, offenses just having the turnovers that were not allowing them to get into the end zone sometimes ended up being a big, big problem here. Um, I actually thought that the adjusted scores don't incorporate the fact that the Bills were probably even a little bit better than five points better in this game. Um, if you look at these different plays that happened, I mentioned the McKenzie fumble. So that's part of it is what happened here. Um, it's a bit closer because the Chiefs passed the ball 77% of the time, which was 16% over expectation. The Bills only at 62% of the time. Uh, they were also 5.7 EPA on conversions, and the Bills were negative 10.2. So huge, huge difference on whether they're able to convert on third and fourth down for the Chiefs, and the Bills were not able to convert. We had McKenzie falling down on the fourth and three that they attempted from the three-yard line, which probably would have been a touchdown if he was able to, to get it there. And if you look at the Chiefs, what they were able to convert on third down, they converted a third and nine, a third and 10, and a third and 15. So those ended up being highly impactful. They converted their one fourth down attempt, a fourth and two with a scramble. The Bills converted about the same number of third downs, but they only converted one third and 10. The rest of them were one, two, or three yards. So they were converting third downs that you're supposed to convert at a really, really high rate. Whereas the Chiefs were converting third downs that you're not supposed to necessarily convert at a high rate, but were able to do it so much more so. That's something that will even out over time. So the Bills are probably even a little bit better um, because of that. Vastly superior grade for Allen in this one. And I think that reflects how much better I believe he was in this game. He had almost a 90 passing grade versus a 62 for Mahomes. Six big time throws for Allen. No turnover worthy plays. They basically had the same yards per attempt. So from a statistical standpoint, um, a base, you know, normal run of the mill type of stats that you would look at in these sorts of games. They look fairly similar. Both 300 and something yards, both same yards per attempt. 
Obviously, you have the interceptions, which is a big difference for Mahomes. Uh, both same yards per attempt, basically, but 65% of the yards for Mahomes came on yards after catch, uh, 36% for Allen. So Allen was making the more difficult throws in this game also as part of this. Uh, as far as different players, what we saw, which we hadn't seen in the past, Juju Smith-Schuster, five catches for 113 yards and a touchdown. 80 of those yards came after the catch and 66 of them after contact. He had three broken tackles in this game. He hadn't had any broken tackles in any earlier games. And it was kind of funny. Chiefs Twitter got on me again because I was saying that the 31-yard or 30-something-yard touchdown from Juju where he catches the ball kind of in the flat-ish, breaks a few tackles, and then runs it in from 35 yards was not exactly like the greatest regression sign for Juju Smith-Schuster, like replacing something that's unsustainable on one side versus unsustainable lack of production that we had seen before is not the greatest thing. But of course, you know, you throw anything out there in Twitter that doesn't say, good touchdown, we, me like, then people are going to jump all over it. And they did in this particular circumstance. Uh, Now, Allen did have some advantage in this game. So let's maybe temper it a little bit as far as the defense for the Bills has obviously been much better. Top five defense for the Bills, more like a top half defense for the Chiefs so far this year. Two of the top three safeties were down, two of the top three corners for um, Kansas City. So they were rotating a bunch of guys, and they were bringing pressure And Allen was succeeding well against that pressure. This is just a good matchup for him against Kansas City. And it has been. If they're not able to get him on the ground, again, if they're not able to get more of these big plays, whether it's uh, strip sacks or forcing them into a bad throw, something like that, uh, big sacks, they only got one sack in this game. If they're not able to do that, bringing the pressure, then you're toast against Josh Allen. And I think one play that typified maybe Kansas City needing to, you know, not change its stripes defensively, but at least alter its stripes based on a situation is the touchdown at the end of the game. No, sorry, at the end of the half for, not the end of the half, because I guess the Chiefs come back and get a 62-yard field goal. But at the their last drive of the half that they end up throwing up to Gabe Davis down the side. If you look at the play, Again, you're going to look at all the, all the details that are going in here and you say, okay, there's less than a, there's less than a minute basically left at this point. There is, you know, 20 something seconds, 22 seconds left. The Bills have the ball in the 34 yard line. First and 10. Um, you're basically in field goal range because you figure with 22 seconds, the Bills are going to get another five, 10 yards. So giving up yards in that situation is you don't care if you give up 10 yards or if you give up 25, 30 yards in that situation. The Bills probably only have time to run the 22 seconds left. They probably only have time to run three plays, maybe four plays if you're really quick there. So as long as you're not giving up 10 yards per play, um, and allowing them to just get all the way down there. And even then, they're, you know, they're, they're not necessarily going to go for the fourth down. I mean, they're not going to necessarily go for the last play of the half to score a touchdown versus a field goal unless they're really, really, really close. They know I'm not going to want to risk that too. So it's probably more like three plays. As long as you only give 34 yards in three plays, then you're going to give three points up no matter what. So when you're blitzing, 
the upside of that blitz is to say, maybe we can get a turnover, maybe we can get a sack, but Allen is not turning the ball over and he's not taking the bad sacks like he had in the past. The downside is what we saw exactly happen, which is you have one-on-one coverage on the outside to Gabe Davis and he scores a 34-yard touchdown when that was the one thing you really did not want to happen. Now, in some ways, you were very, very lucky to get the three points back on the other end. So it was only a four net points in that situation. But I don't I don't know. I mean, again, you know, Spags is going to Spags. That defense is going to blitz. That's what he does on critical situations. But situationally, when you don't care about yards, they're really I'm not necessarily always for a bend, don't break defense. But this would have been one of those situations. Uh, decision time across the board in this game. Let's see. The Chiefs went for it on fourth and two. Mahomes scrambled for it. That was a good play. Um, the draw, I mean, the the slip down, fall down by Isaiah McKenzie on a fourth and three at the Kansas City three. Strong play, although they don't convert it there. And you're not, you're never going to go for it in these types of situations, but there's always these interesting ones that show up where Kansas City had a fourth and one at their 12 yard line. In the second quarter, uh, the score was 7-3 Kansas City. And, you know, the models say go for it pretty strongly on this, even on your own 12-yard line. I know people will will laugh that off, but, hey, that's what ends up happening on these, on these ones when you have that strong on offense. That's where we need to get to in the next level of NFL thinking as far as what we're going to do um, for these games. And again, you know, the, the bills failed on that fourth and three near the goal line. They also failed on a fourth and three uh, on the Kansas city 46 yard line, where it looked like Allen thought that he was going to scramble at the last second. He realized that wasn't going to work and he threw it out to digs. It did not convert, but guess what? The bills still won the game guys. You could still win. Even if you don't convert those fourth downs, it doesn't mean an automatic loss. All right. So let's get to the clock management stuff here because the clock management at the end of the game is what I'm going to point to where, again, it didn't affect this particular game, but I mentioned in in, in the Indianapolis game, a similar thing happened where Andy Reid lets the clock run down when the opponent has the ball at the end, even though the most likely scenario is you're going to get it back and you want to have some more time when you get it back on the other side. So the situation was after the two-minute warning, uh, Kansas City is up 20-17, to If they score a touchdown in this situation, you know that you don't, you'll be down four, most likely. They could miss the extra point, but let's just say you're going to be down four. So you need a touchdown. It's not just that you need to leave enough time to get a field goal back on the other side. You need a touchdown. And after the two-minute warning, uh, Josh Allen had a little run play where he kept it negative two yards. I think... The Bills were probably thinking, we want to leave less time on the clock here. First and 10 at the 12-yard line. Uh, so it's 1.53 left after that play is over. They run the clock all the way down to one on the clock before throwing it in to jo- Josh Allen to Dawson Knox. Touchdown with 104 left to go. So they run 50 seconds off the clock that could have been stopped if Andy Reid had called a timeout there. You could... Say, well, what if you stop them? If you stop them, then you want to be able to run out the clock when you get the ball back, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but if the other team is running a play, a kind of negative EPA-ish sort of play, a running play, in order to run time off the clock, is perfectly content running the clock all the way down to one second, then you know that you shouldn't want that. 
there's never or very rarely an actual equilibrium where both teams agree that you should run 50 seconds off the clock at the very end of the game. One team benefits from that more than another team. And in this case, it was definitely the Bills who were going to end up benefiting from that um, with the very high probability that they're going for it here, even though they're down three. As long as they're within probably five yards of the end zone, they're going for it here. They're very likely going to score this touchdown. And having the ball back, needing a touchdown on the other end, I don't think the pressure led to the Mahomes interception, but having you know, a minute and 45 seconds versus having less than a minute to execute your own touchdown uh, drive on the next way down makes a big difference. So it's just an easy play for Reed that he could have done and called the timeout there. And maybe even by calling these timeouts, you might even convince the Bills to run again, which is kind of like a negative EV type of play in order to try to waste another one of your timeouts. But I'll take that. Like, I'll take the Bills lowering their chances of scoring a touchdown and taking a lead on that drive versus getting rid of my own timeouts if I'm Andy Reid. I will take that trade every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Uh, Okay, let's talk about where we stand after this game. The Bills now are double Kansas City as far as their odds to make it to the Super Bowl. They're at 44% to get out of the conference and to the Super Bowl. So almost 50% to get the Super Bowl. Very, very high number there for the Bills. KC's at 23%. Um, and they're basically double their chance to to win the Super Bowl. Also, where the Bills are up to 23% chance to win the Super Bowl because their power rating is multiple points now above anyone else. Tiebreaker is huge right now uh, with the game lead and the standings. And, you know, I'd say this matchup lived up to its billing. Hopefully we see it again in the playoffs. Um, but the Bills really proved a lot in this game, in a game where, again, they were favored on the road. They were seen as the best team in the NFL. Uh, Kansas City got some of the lucky breaks, at least, I would say, in this game. And they still end up coming away with the victory. All right, let's go to Sunday night. Not the most entertaining game, but we have the marquee franchises. Philly at Dallas. The Eagles fly, Eagles fly. For the moment, middle of the field open, third and nine. Rush throws, intercepted by Slay. And Slay picking up blocks, thrown down at the 46. Cooper Rush, no interceptions, four games, two interceptions in this first half. Big play Slay with the interception. Uh, that was it. It was already 17 nothing when that interception happened. And as was mentioned here, Cooper Rush, what he had been playing so far, which was allowing them to win. RIP Cooper Rush uh, being undefeated as a starter. What was allowing them to win this in, most of the, this time was the fact that he was not making mistakes while the defense was playing extremely well. Uh, this game was over basically on very, very early in the game. Um, if you look at it by that point in the game where Slay intercepted it, that actually put it to a 99% win probability at 17 nothing, And then they go and make it 20 nothing at the end of the first half. Now, you know, Dallas actually made some noise in the second half to come back into it, um, getting it, making it a little bit interesting. But uh, nothing, nothing that, I mean, coming within you know, nine points at the end of this game is not, is a lot, made it look a lot closer than what it actually was. All right. The number for the game in this one, seven is the number that is the top 
seven plays in impact as far as expected points all went to Philadelphia in this game. We have the Cooper Rush interceptions. We have A.J. Brown converting a fourth and three on a pass from Jalen Hurts. We have the fourth and one failure by Cooper Rush. All those plays, everything was towards Philadelphia as far as the big plays were concerned. Uh, Philly was a seven-point favorite going into this game. As I mentioned earlier, it did get narrowed to nine points when the when the Eagles only scored six points in the second half. So it's 26-17 final score. Adjusted score, 28-23. Eh, I don't think it was really this close, but Philly, again, they, they got all of these big plays. Everything fell in their manner. Now, maybe that's going to happen more often than not when you're facing Cooper Rush and you're facing a little bit of a down sort of uh, offense, but, you know, maybe a little bit more narrow than how badly they were killing him. Because I don't think the Eagles were playing particularly well, offensively at least, in that first half, despite the fact that they were putting up points. They actually had similar success rates and similar efficiency offensively as far as EPA per play. Uh, Dallas was actually running the ball really well. They're in the 90th percentile as far as their EPA per play. But again, it was those big, big plays that swung towards Philadelphia. Uh, A couple interesting little wrinkles that I want to discuss in this one. One was the Eagles lining up on fourth and four. They probably weren't going to go for it. They were inside the... uh, They're at the the Dallas 10-yard line. I thought that was a good play. I know that the the quarter was going to run out, but I still would have even done that and taken a delay of game just to try to get those five yards because when you're in that sort of circumstance and this is something ryan paganetti uh, who now works as a analytics coaching guy coaching but doing also analytics type of work for the jacksonville jaguars when he was on this program he was talking about this as a good situation that almost every team if you're in a situation where you lose five yards on a penalty your field goal percentage is basically the same because they're so makeable that are that close to the end zone that you should always, if you're within five yards on this fourth down, even if you're not planning on going for it, really, really try to draw the other team off. Don't waste the time out. Instead, take the five-yard penalty and kick the field goal. This is not exactly one of these situations because the quarter would have run out before the clock, but the Eagles getting that penalty in a no-downside type of situation was a smart move there and they end up converting and getting a touchdown on the next play. It was also the right call for uh, for Mike McCarthy to to go for the uh, fourth and one at the Dallas 34. It's kind of less than a yard. You can nitpick the, the play call here, especially with them running well, but it was a slight EPA advantage to them. And the problem with calculating the expected points and the win probability added in these circumstances that they had such a low chance of winning anyway at this point, down 14 nothing as a huge underdog on the road, that you're just there's not a whole lot of upside with your win probability gain. But again, what would you rather do? Like get yourself up to a six, seven percent chance of winning or maintain a four percent chance of winning? Let, let, let's go for it in those circumstances. It was not the defining play in this game. Hertz didn't have to do that much. Kind of for the third straight week, he didn't do a ton offensively maybe some of the shine is coming off of his MVP campaign despite the fact that they are uh, remaining undefeated 4.3 a dot for Hertz after having a 3.8 average depth of target last week 155 yards passing 74 grade uh, you know he did have some pressure they got some pressure on Hertz the defense did had a 40 percent pressure rate 
uh, 10% sack rate, took him down a couple of times, but just not providing enough pressure Dallas offensively to really end up doing anything here. Okay, so the Philly is up to a 27% chance to make the Super Bowl. Not win the Super Bowl, but make the Super Bowl now, according to our numbers, which puts them above Tampa Bay. Now that Tampa Bay is lost. Uh, putting them much, much, much so in the driver's seat to get that buy, which is huge for your chances of eventually making it to the Super Bowl. We still believe Tampa Bay is slightly better team uh, with the internals here, although that took a hit this week with what we saw from the Bucks. Much, much more narrow than what it's ever been before. Um, Dallas, 75% chance still to make the playoff. So nothing is, you know, nothing, we're not... We're not getting too worried about it. They probably weren't going to win the division anyway, but they're looking very, very solid for a wild card still. Dak coming back. Hopefully he can hold the ball. Dallas is still in pretty good position because everyone in that division has a really, really easy schedule for the rest of the season. Okay, let's go to New York City, the Wink Martindale Revenge Bowl. Now, I guess there's a lot of other things going on here. When Baltimore came to your Giants, the G-Men, are victorious once again. Oh, he lost the football. Scoops it back up. Checks and throws. Intercepted. Giants have it with Julian Love. Love weaving through. Tackled inside the 15. What a turn of events. Yes, the turn of events is right. In fact... Um, if you're looking at win probability here, maybe I'll even uh, maybe I'll even pop this for for our YouTube friends. I'm going to pop this up on the on the screen here. When we look at the win probability for what happened here, and that goes to the number of the game, which was 80, because that was the win probability that the Ravens had before that interception. They were at 80. percent They had been. You know, they started the game as a five and a half point favorite, right? Yeah, five and a half point favorite. So they started the game with almost a 75% chance to win, maintained around that amount the entire first quarter, the entire second quarter went up a little, continued to go up in the third quarter, and then was up above, you know, 85, 86, 87%, started to drop a little bit because the Giants scored. And then they were still at 80% before that interception. But after the interception, that drops down to about 50 50. Then they get the ball back again, and Lamar Jackson, strip sack, fumble, and that pretty much buried things as far as their chance of winning this game. Um, let's get the particulars. Again, five-and-a-half-point favorites for Baltimore. 24-20, the Giants end up winning the game. Unfortunately for Saquon Barkley, fantasy football managers he takes a knee after getting the first down at the end of the game in a similar circumstance to what we saw uh against what happened to baltimore against the bills when they ended up converting that first down and then able to run out the clock at the end before kicking a field goal where both plays it looked like baltimore was trying to let them score barkley was too smart for that uh even though they were going to win anyway in this circumstance it wasn't like one of those circumstances where they're only up by a point before scoring um So 24-20, Giants win. Adjusted score, sorry, Giants fans, 28-27 Baltimore, but very, very, very close. And it's not shocking with Baltimore being so far ahead this entire game. Um, They still had a 28% win probability before the fumble even. So combined those two Lamar Jackson 
turnovers at the end had a combined win probability loss of 56%. Massive, massive mistakes there by Jackson. I mean, it's, it happens, right? Um, but we're seeing over and over again, the Ravens having a lead, um, getting some big plays, having a lead, and then not being able to close it out on the end, sometimes because their defense can't stop anybody, like we saw against the um, the Dolphins, sometimes because they fail on a fourth and two on the goal line, like against the Bills, sometimes here because Lamar Jackson turns over the ball. Negative 11 expected points on those ones. Uh, shockingly, the first interception of the season for the Giants. So the Giants have been playing this well. They're 5-1 and one now, and they haven't even been getting turnovers. So kind of kind of shocking, very very shocking, I would say on this one. Uh, but why? So why do the Ravens have a higher adjusted score in this one? Let's get into some of the particulars that drive into the adjusted score model. The success rate uh, was at 84th percentile for the Ravens versus 48th percentile for the Giants. So that one's big, and their actual efficiency offensively 74th percentile for the Ravens, 54th percentile for the Giants. Special teams is big. We had some big returns. Tucker missed field goal, hit the upright from 56 yards out. While with a normal kicker, maybe you could say that was somewhat expected, not with Tucker. Uh, More internals in this game that point towards Baltimore. Seven yards per play for the Ravens versus only 3.8 yards per play for the Giants. Uh, Three and a half expected points lost on penalties for Baltimore, which I downweight a little bit. Uh, But, you know, Baltimore had some big plays. Kenyon Drake, 10 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown. So that's not necessarily sustainable. Um, But generally there was more sustainable offensive success for Baltimore, just had the mistakes and gave up some big plays and some special team stuff on the other side of the ball. So where do we stand now with our giants who we still have, let's see our power ranking on our giants now still 22nd. So not in the that makes them not in the bottom 10, though, technically. They're in the bottom 11, but not in the bottom 10 here, despite being five and one. But, you know, screw the power rankings, right? 75% chance to make the playoffs. That's what the Giants have right now. They can laugh all the way into a wild card game. Uh, I mean, who knows? I mean, heck, if things, this, this division, the NFC least, who's expecting this, right? Uh, the Eagles six and zero, and then the Giants sitting there at five and one. Pretty amazing coming out of this. Uh, the Ravens. This was a tough one for the Ravens. Again, they were five and a half point favorites going into this game, so that hurts. Their playoff chance is down to fifty two percent, twelve percent loss. One of the bigger losses that we saw for any team in any particular game right here. That combined with the fact that the Bengals won today. Um, means that Baltimore is about tied with Cincinnati as far as their probability to win to um, to win the division. And you might think that's a little bit weird that they're still that high, but the remaining schedule is a lot, a lot easier. Cincinnati has that first place remaining schedule, the second hardest schedule in the NFL going forward. Baltimore's only at 26th. So Cincinnati, unfortunately for them, just has a lot harder schedule generally this year which means that it helps close the gap there between them um as far as their ability to eventually win the division i don't think there's 
need to panic necessarily when we're talking about Baltimore, but I do think there are going to be some questions now at three and three, you know, what could have been with all of the losses that they've had so far this year after having wins in this game. And for Lamar Jackson, 77 yards rushing, you know, he was doing it again on the ground, just needs to clean up the mistakes, needs to clean up the mistakes um giants keep on winning probably not sustainable you know they're gonna have fun saying worst five and one team in history i don't think the worst five and one team in history but uh you know enjoy it enjoy it while it lasts new york fans and while we're talking about new york let's go back to new york although i guess technically we're going to green bay we're not going to new york but let's go to the new york jets the shocking maybe the shocker of the week i think by point spread the um uh, the Steelers were the shocker of the week, but this one might be the shocker of the week when you consider the fact that the mighty Packers, how far that they've fallen, uh, losing to the New York Jets. A trap play inside, and a beauty! Hall running free! Brees Hall inside the 10! He's going to score! Touchdown, Jets! A Lambo leap there from Brees Hall, and it's funny, hearing about this play in... What was supposed to go on in that play, if you can see it, there is a receiver. I'm not sure if it's Berrios. It's someone who's coming around. Maybe Wilson, actually, coming around on what looks like it would have been an end-around-ish sort of play. And Brees Hall just keeps it rather than flipping it back to him. And that ends up leading to the long touchdown here in this one. All right, let's get to the number of the game. And, oh, God, just fans are going to hate me after this one. But anyway, I thought it was something you should at least point out. Maybe I shouldn't have made this the number of the game. But in 35.5, I'm doing it because this was the number of the game last week was Wilson's highest grade of his career. This 35.5 was Wilson's lowest grade of his career, coming off of the best game of his career. And I think it points to the fact that, you know, both teams just were not good in this game. I mean, Green Bay, they're discombobulated on offense. Um, They have some special teams issues, which ended up giving up a lot in this game. And the Jets offense, outside of the long play that we saw from Brees Hall, they had a 40-something yard pass to Corey Davis, only 110 passing yards total. So, you know, almost almost half of the passing yards came on one play to Corey Davis. A.J. Dillon, uh, Aaron Rodgers exchange fumble on third and one, which was a negative four EPA. Punt block touchdown, right? Negative eight expected points added on special teams there. There's a lot that kind of flew towards the Jets' direction, and Green Bay's 7.5 point favorite coming into this, 27-10 final score, but my adjusted score has it much, much, much more narrow. The Jets eking out 17-16 to here, because again, both teams did not play particularly well uh, in this game. Now, players who did play well defensively, and maybe I'm just concentrating too much on the offense, but I think the defense is really what you can get excited about as a Jets fan because Sauce Gardner putting himself in position for defensive rookie of the year here. He was targeted six times this game and only being targeted six times, I think is kind of good too. Like it shows that Aaron Rodgers isn't finding your guy even worth targeting, but six targets in this game only gave up one catch for eight yards. And he, he actually almost had a pick six on a, on a play that, that hit the ground earlier in the game. 
90 grade, preliminary grade so far for Sauce Gardner, highest defensive grade in the game. Quentin Williams has been playing his butt off recently, a defensive tackle. He took a little, little slow getting, getting him going, but six pressures, two sacks yesterday. So the defense is what you're really getting excited about when it comes to the Jets playing here. The offense, I think, is still very much more, much, much, much more questionable um, unless you're getting those explosive plays from guys like Brees Hall. Um, to, to talk about how ugly this game was, there weren't any points until there was 546 left in the half. And that required a turnover. That required that fumble from the Packers on the 30-yard line to even get some points in this particular game. Uh, mistakes, decisions, you know, Green Bay down 3 nothing. It was a medium go for it when they're on the 46-yard line. I don't think anyone's questioning that one. They did not convert, though, so maybe some people will question it after the fact. But it wasn't that really that close of a situation. And... I think the Packers, we questioned somewhat their defense coming into the year. At least I did. I questioned somewhat their defense coming into this year because they weren't as good as you might have thought last year. And I know I've repeated this point before, but their total success rate last year was 23rd. Their total EPA ranking was 12. Now they're at 27 and 16 for those numbers. So I think we just maybe assumed too much that returning Jair Alexander, getting everyone healthy, was going to have this huge effect on the defense. We just have not seen it so far, along with, of course, the offensive struggles that are well, well documented for the Packers. Okay, what does this mean going forward? The Jets are up to 44% chance to make the playoffs. Maybe you'd expect it to be a little bit higher for a 4-2 and two team, but we still have them in the bottom 10, in the bottom 10 teams right now as far as their power ranking. We have them at 25, so... Better than the Falcons, better than the Texans, uh, Detroit, you know, Bears, Seattle, all those teams, but not necessarily as well as you might think for for a team that's playing that's four and two. Uh, Green Bay, it's a coin flip now to make the playoffs. This is supposed to be a cakewalk for them to kind of get into the playoffs this year in a weakened NFC. They're down to 50 percent as a 20 percent loss on this one game in their playoff probability. And we have them falling well outside of the top five, uh, starting to get into this range where they're pretty close to, they're more similar to a team like maybe Baltimore than they are to a team like the Eagles right now and how good we have them looking going forward. I mean, I still think they're going to get things figured out a little bit better with Aaron Rodgers, but it's not great. They've had a bottom 10 schedule as far as difficulty so far this season. Now they're going to be a top 12 schedule going forward. So things could get a little tight for them. Uh, the rest of the season. All right, let's get to the biggest upset of the week. And that was nine and a half points. I think this thing was rising throughout the week too. Nine and a half point underdog were the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. And I didn't think I'd ever say this, but Mitch Trubisky comes in to save the day. Uh, Trubisky for the end zone. Caught, touchdown, Chase Claypool. Yes, Chase Claypool. There's no more improbable combination to come through and win a game, perhaps, than Chase Claypool and Mitch Trubisky. And this is one that I actually recommended playing at eight and a half, and it kept going up. Nine, nine and a half. Uh, every, I guess the sharp betters were on the Bucks, but they were wrong in this one. Uh, 2018, Pittsburgh pulls it out, but 
maybe they weren't as wrong as you think because my adjusted score does have Tampa Bay 25 to 20 as the score. The number of the game, 17 is the number of this game. And that is the expected points differential for third and fourth down between these two teams. So one team was a positive 13 expected points on third and fourth down, that being the Steelers. The other team was a negative four. And this explains why um, the Bucks were a better team, 50th percentile success rate to 30th for the Steelers. A lot better internal metrics as far as how their offense performed in this game, yet they lost the game and were not able to score a lot of points. Um, the Steelers were seven for 15 on third down. That doesn't sound incredible. Uh, one for one on fourth down also. That doesn't sound incredible, but if you look at the types of third downs that they were converting, they converted two third and 15s, a third and 13, a third and 11, and three third and six. They also had a scramble on third and 11, which was a positive EPA scramble because it set up a fourth and one, which they then converted. So all everything went right on third downs for a team that was struggling to really be consistently good on first and second downs in their base sort of offense. And again, Claypool's a guy I'll highlight here after being absent for most of the season in a low upside passing game where the only scraps that were going around were going to Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Claypool, uh, seven targets, seven catches, 96 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Najee Harris gets into the touchdown act. He's he scores a receiving touchdown. Uh, Trubiscuit here coming into the third quarter. Pickett got hit. I think it was concussion, right? Um, he got hit in this one. 12 yards per attempt for Trubisky versus 3.7 for Pickett in this game. After Pickett had been playing better so far this year. Quarterback controversy? Quarterback controversy? I guess I guess we'll, we'll end up seeing. I, you know, they don't really have a great chance of making the playoffs anyway uh, for the Steelers, if you look at them right now, they are at a 20% chance to make the playoffs, according to our numbers. So one out of five times, eh, who knows? Who knows what will end up happening there? I, I don't think so. But anyone, you know, it, it, anyone can see what will potentially end up happening here. And as far as the Bucks are concerned, they have all these weird things where they keep losing, but it doesn't have a major effect on their chances because the division is so bad that they're playing in and new Orleans keeps on losing and the NFC generally is so bad. So they have an 80% chance still to win the division, 86% chance to make the playoffs, the second easiest schedule going forward. But guys, you got to start putting up some W's. Okay. You got to start putting up some W's in games that you're supposed to win like this game, which was the second biggest spread of the week. The only bigger, uh, the only bigger advantage was the, uh, was the Rams over the Carolina Panthers. So you got to notch W's when you can here for the Bucks, and just stop messing around because you should just easily, easily, easily be able to walk away with this division, but you're sitting here at three and three. Um, not good. Not, not good at all, um, especially when you won some games like that Atlanta game, which you didn't really look great in that game either. All right, before I get to the rest of the schedule, let's pay some bills here, guys. DraftKings, the NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. 
Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With bigger payouts than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And also, Western and Southern sponsors the Unexpected Points podcast. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's go down to Miami where we had a strange game where quarterback curse continues for the Dolphins. Uh, Maybe it's the curse of Brian Flores. I don't know what's going on there uh, in Miami, but the Minnesota Vikings were able to pull out a very strange victory based upon their ability to get touchdowns sometimes, but then kind of get nothing the rest of the time. I'll talk more about that. There's Cook. Dalvin Cook picks up a first down. Still going. Inside the 30. Cook inside the 10. The 5. Touchdown. 53 yards in his return home. Yes, yes. Dalvin Cook in his return home. I guess that's another narrative that I didn't even think about. Coming into all the different narratives and all these different games with all the different players who have all played somewhere else. All the coaches who have all coached somewhere else. Dalvin Cook. Returns to Miami, 50-yard touchdown, sealing the game, putting them up by multiple scores with three minutes remaining. But I have to say, the number of the game, this one is, is kind of shocking here. 11 is the number of the game. And that's because there were three touchdown drives for the Vikings. So three touchdown drives. If you separate out those three touchdown drives, The other 11 drives they had in this game, all three and out. They did not pick up a single first down outside of the three drives where they scored touchdowns. Weird, weird, weird game. And because of that, you know, they're three and a half point favorites facing the seventh round rookie, Skyler Thompson, in this game. Even though it's in Miami, even though their sideline was like 30 degrees hotter as the diabolical setup there by the Dolphins where they have their... Uh, for these early games, their sideline is in the shade, and then the opponent's sideline is in the is in the sun. Uh, diabolical but effective setup here for the Dolphins. So three and a half point favorites. They win 24-16. There was a you know a late touchdown there for Miami, which made it a little bit closer, but they still get the cover. But my numbers have 2012 Miami because of the fact that the Vikings weren't able to do anything. They just strung together a few of these drives. And There's also some other factors in here. The Dolphins lost six expected points to penalties. They got a ton of penalties on their second drive of the game. They have 16 expected points lost on turnovers. Now, you know, I don't discount all of that. If you make a turnover, you should be penalized for it. But it's a little bit higher than what you might think. I mean, plays like a somewhat inexplicable fumble from Jalen Waddell after a catch on the 26-yard line. Those types of plays happening. Those just aren't going to happen a lot that you're going to lose that many all of the fumbles being recovered by the other team, things like that. Um, 
And again, the, the Vikings just couldn't do anything offensively. A very low 20th percentile success rate. Only in the 30th percentile as far as their EPA per play. It was really just being boosted by big plays, a few big plays that they had that ended up getting into the end zone and scoring too whenever they were in the red zone. Let's talk Skylar Thompson for a while. You guys might know or might not know a big Skylar Thompson fan, backer. Uh, I thought he was the late round, mid round quarterback to take a shot on in this draft. He's looked good. He started, and I believe he started because they like him, not necessarily all because he needed, they needed more preparation and Teddy wasn't going to have the preparation. Uh, although it is kind of weird for Miami that Tua is cleared from the concussion protocol and he's not playing. I, I don't know what's going on because you just never see that if it wasn't for all this PR sort of stuff that's going on now. Maybe they just are not allowed to start to at this point um it sucks for them though because they're losing these games and you know they're gonna they might lose their playoff chances here they were the the darling of the nfl at three and oh and now things are have gone downhill quickly um but let's talk about skyler for a second because i thought he's pretty good um again he didn't get the chance to play that much he injured his thumb so we'll see what it's like going forward for them. But Tua should be back anyway. He was 7 of 13 for 89 yards and a sack. But he was also 4 of 4 for 67 yards on plays that were called back by penalty on that second drive. There was killer penalties over and over and over again on that second drive where they were moving the ball so much better than the Vikings but kept on getting in their own way uh, the entire time. There's also a missed 52-yard field goal by uh, Jason Sanders, which comes into playing as far as some of the the narrowness there for the adjusted score. All right, let's figure out, because two is going to be back, so we can't read too much into that. The Vikings are just like, they're just disgusting wins. <laughs> They've had a couple of disgusting wins recently. Uh, the London game, I did not really have them as winning that one. And then this one is another one. But hey, you're racking up those W's, you up to... 90% chance to make the playoffs now for for the Vikings. So whatever you want to say about how it's getting done, I don't think people are necessarily looking at this team and saying this is some sort of powerhouse type of team, but hey, you're 5 and 1 and you have the rest of the division reeling. And you already have a W against the Green Bay Packers who are 3 and 3 now. Bears and Lions are totally completely out of it. There is the Eagles at six and one. I mean, think about this in the NFC generally. I'm sorry, six and oh. Eagles six and oh. Giants and Vikings five and one. Cowboys with Cooper Rush four and two. They're the only four and two team. And then you just have all these other like powerhouse type of teams that we expected coming into the year at three and three. The Packers, the Bucks. The uh, 49ers, the Rams, all at three and three so far this season, which has given a lot of room to the Vikings. While they're not playing great this season, it's given them a lot of room to say, hey, you know, let's let's figure things out as we continue to go forward. And let's let's be happy about the fact that we're sitting where we are, despite the fact that we're kind of like a mid-range team as far as our defensive efficiency so far this year. They're 13th in defensive efficiency. And if you look at their, I'm sorry, in offensive efficiency, and in their defensive efficiency, they're 23rd in EPA, 24th in success rate. So they're just not even really good on defense, yet they keep on winning these particular games here. Uh, chance to win the division. Maybe I should look at that one too. 75% chance to win the division right now. 
for Minnesota with, of course, the other 25% pretty much all going to Green Bay. So we did not expect to see this. And it kind of shows how if you have like a lot of bad luck, which I think Minnesota had in particular to start last season, hey, it can turn around. You can get some good luck here for the Vikings, but definitely not as good of a team as their 5-1 and one record. We have them being the 12th team by power ranking. So still below the Bengals, Ravens, still below the Rams, although we need to revisit the Rams, still below the Titans, teams like that so far this season. Um, Miami, let's get to Miami's numbers now after this. 33% chance again to make the playoffs after falling so far here. Only 3% chance to win the division now that Buffalo is pulling away. Um, need to get things going again. Because if you look at them, again, after that huge start, they have lower playoff chances than teams like the Jets right now. Almost equal to a team like the, the Falcons in the other division. Not too far away from the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Not almost exactly the same as the, the Broncos. Uh, so things have gotten bad. For Things have got turned around with the quarterback situation. Hopefully Tua can come back because he was playing like a top five quarterback before injury. Okay, let's go to New Orleans where the explosive Bengals offense gets back on track. Burrow throwing this side of the field. Jamar Chase with the catch and up the sideline. And there he goes. Jamar Chase to the end zone for the touchdown. 60 yards. Jamar Chase finally. Some explosive plays here for the Bengals. Regression alert, regression alert. Um, They had had so few after having so many last year of these connections between Chase and Burrow. And in this one, they get that 60-yard catch. And beyond that, Chase also had another touchdown, nine catches. I'm sorry, nine targets, seven catches, 132 yards, and two touchdowns. 84 yards after contact, a lot of it on that one play. And he only had 67 yards after contact in the first five games of the season, 84 right in this one game. Let's get to the number of the game. The Bengals find their offensive identity. 52 is the number of the game. And what does 52 mean? The Bengals lined up in shotgun on 52 offensive snaps. Only two other snaps. So they had 54 snaps. So 52 of 54, the two other offensive snaps where they did not, they were not a shotgun. They were behind. They were lined up under center were a QB sneak and kneeling it out at the end of the game. That was it. So they were a fully shotgun team, which is interesting because there was a lot of talk out there about how you can run and why running is so much better under center or not. All these discussions on NFL Live and other places. The Bengals said, screw it. Burrow, he's good at passing from from shotgun. We have the weapons on the outside. We're going to lean back into that passing game. 78% pass rate in this one. 21% over expectation. And we are going to lean into those strengths and stop going under center at all, even while people criticize us for not going under center enough. Now, the Bengals were three-point favorites in this game, and they won by four points. So it wasn't some sort of dominant game. They win 30-26. to Uh, Adjusted score, though, a little bit wider. Not a whole lot, but a little bit wider, 28-22. to And my adjusted scores have loved the Bengals this entire year. According to my adjusted scores, they've been better in every game this season just not getting those explosive plays, which they finally got this year, having too many turnovers, uh, which they're able to limit somewhat here. Um, Even still, you know, this game was a little bit more close 
in the scoreboard than it seems because of there was a fumble on a punt return here. There was a big end around from Rashid Shahid. Some of these dudes, I'd even like, I've only seen their name once or twice before in my life for the Saints there, which ended up going, which ended up being a big deal. And there was an interesting situational thing that I'm going to discuss here where I said last week when all the go for two discussion was happening about the Chiefs and Raiders. I said that, you know, most of the time it doesn't matter unless we're talking about the go for two down eight type of situation. Well, we did have a situation that mattered in this one. And the Bengals went for it, went for two. And that's when they scored. They were up four points after the touchdown. You're up four points, 157 left in the fourth quarter. And they went for two to go instead of being up by five, they want to be up by six. So why would you do that? It's actually almost a 2% win probability gain doing so in this one. So why would you do that? Well, here's, here's, here's why. So being, let's talk about the differences between being up five or being up six. If the other team scores a touchdown, most likely they're going to kick the extra point. You're going to, if you have a chance to get the ball back, you're either going to be down um, three or two. So you can still, you know, tie the game in that circumstance. The bigger difference is, you're mostly not likely not getting the ball back. So that's not the big thing. But the big difference is what this eliminates for the other teams, eliminates the ability for them to, if you if you make it. Now, they didn't make it. But you're trying to eliminate the ability for them to kick a field goal, onside kick, and then kick another field goal with six points. They could, they could have won the game if you're only up five. If you do the extra point and only kick up five. So you're eliminating that possibility because that is a more likely scenario than some might think in this circumstance because – if you stop the other team, they decide to kick a field goal. Extra points are being recovered around 20% of the time now, like 15, 20% of the time. It's pretty high. I mean, not extra points, sorry. The uh, the kickoffs, onside kicks are being recovered a pretty high percentage of the time. You're kind of eliminating that. So that's where you get a little bit of juice there going, going for two in that situation. They didn't get it. Um, you know, didn't matter anyway. So Bengals, three and three, 54% chance to make the playoffs, up 10%. Saints, Despite the fact that Andy Dalton's playing okay, I don't think he's been bad so far this year. Down to two and four, 14% chance to make the playoffs. Um, Things might finally be coming to an end here for the Saints in their every season. Treat it like we're going in to win this season. There may be an eventual rebuild here that needs to come onto the calendar. Um, But, you know, with Tampa Bay struggling... They can stay in it for now. They're having some help in their division, a lot of help in their division. But if they don't make the playoffs this year, they might have to finally capitulate and do that unless they really want to say, okay, we're going to re-up, you know, going with Jameis some more, leaning into it even more, going for it even more, hope Tom Brady retires and there's no one left in that division. You know, the Saints can always find a way to continue pushing their chips in. Maybe they will here. Um, But again, down to 14% chance to make the playoffs. All right, let's go to um, Indianapolis with the resurgence, the revitalization of Matt Ryan. Ryan's going to throw it, taking a deep shot for Pierce down the field. He's got it! Touchdown! What a call! What a play! And what a day for Matt! 
17 seconds remaining. The Colts score a final touchdown to take the lead and win the game 34 to 27. They were one and a half point favorites in this game. So that tells you something. Despite what we've seen from their ineptitude this year, despite the fact that the Jaguars bageled them the last time they played each other in Jacksonville, still favored in this game, which shows more than anything, I think a degree of skepticism in the Jaguars who just came off a loss to the Texans uh, than anything. But the adjusted score does have Jacksonville being a little bit better, according to my numbers, 30 to 26. Number of the game, 58. That is the number of pass attempts for Matt Ryan in this game. 58 pass attempts. Now, he did get the 389 yards. People were talking about that. But you're not exactly being highly efficient if you have to pass the ball 58 times. I mean, let's just do some quick math here. That is 6.7 yards per attempt. Not fantastic. Um, But he did well avoiding pressure. And the Jags just really leaned into the run, which was very successful. The Jags only ran, only passed the ball eight times in the first half compared to 37 times for the Colts. Uh, the Colts just kept sustaining drives. Despite having less yards per play, they were at 5.9 yards per play versus the Jags at 6.4 yards per play. They were 10 of 15 on third down, adding 16 expected points. Um, 78% pass rate for the Colts, 49 for the Jags. Lawrence was fine. Um, he's not used a lot in this one. Uncharacteristically, he took four sacks, which you normally don't see from him. He's normally pretty good at avoiding pressure, but definitely not playing like an elite type of quarterback who you can count on in these types of games to win you a game. I think everyone's going to be talking about Shaquille Griffin as far as a uh, potential bust as a free agent signing for the Jags because he gave up that last touchdown to Alec Pierce, who is, you know, low key playing pretty well as a rookie here. But, you know, our, just to point out here, we had a worse, the worst coverage grade we had was on first round pick Devin Lloyd. Um, when we gave him primary coverage, the Colts were 13 of 13 for 125 yards. They picked up six first downs, which is mostly a lot of passes. Again, where they're converting all these third downs, they're just slowly going down the field Passing out to Deion Jackson, 10 of 10 for 79 yards, going out to Jackson, who was at running back with Taylor and Naheem Hines out of the game. Let me see what else happened here. Um, Lawrence had a sneak. He scored a touchdown. He scored another touchdown later on. So we did get those, which helped boost some of his efficiency, which was not horrible in this game. Trayvon Walker, again, the other first-round pick, didn't do a lot. Called for hitting the face mask against Matt Ryan on a critical third and 12, which eventually led to a TD there. Uh, The Colts stopped the Jags on fourth and one on an option play. I don't think situationally it was that bad of a call. They were running the ball really well. Maybe they could have just done a traditional sort of run. But Trevor Lawrence is good at running these types of plays, and I know they didn't convert it, but obviously it was a huge go-for-it situation. Uh, just didn't end up getting the conversion there. Let's talk about these teams now playoff-wise, because, again, we do not believe in Jacksonville, still having them in the bottom 10 teams here, and the numbers are really flipping around in that manner. 14% chance to make the playoffs now, only 6% chance to win the division when they were basically equal with the Colts and and the Titans a couple of weeks ago. Two tough losses, especially that loss to the Texans last week for Jacksonville. The Colts... 
you know, we still don't like them 19th by the power rankings, but they're up to 53% to make the playoffs and 34% to win the division. We have Tennessee as being a much better team here and higher chances in both departments, but who knows? Maybe the Colts can turn things around and win uh, once again, an ugly AFC South. Speaking of ugly, it's going to be ugly in Cleveland this week as people digest another loss with a lot of big plays on the other side for the offense. Chopping him on the other side. They're down 10. Stevenson looking for a block. He got it for Myers, and there he goes. Kiss him goodbye. That is a touchdown. 31-yard run, Stevenson. Yes, Ramondre Stevenson, 31-yard touchdown, 53-yard catch from Jonu Smith, 31-yard touchdown on third and one to a wide-open Hunter Henry. That is your Cleveland Browns defense. The seat could not be hotter for Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator for the the Browns. I don't know. I don't know if you, you know, toss them off, toss them uh, off the starboard side of the ship here, get that weight off of the ship, try to bring in someone else here. But I don't know. Something's got to be done in Cleveland because this is a team kind of similar to the Bengals where there were two and three coming into this week, I saw them as being a better team each week of the season. This game, they were not the better team, but they still continued performing even worse than what my adjusted scores say because of their propensity to give up big plays. Um, Let's talk about the number of the game first, 55. And that is a difference between the Patriots' success rate offensively from a percentile standpoint and their actual efficiency. So once again, This Browns defense, it's being successful, but then it gives up these monster big plays. It gives up third down plays. Missed tackles lead to stuff. All that sort of stuff. Sloppy sort of defense leading to these plays over and over again for the Browns. The Browns are two and a half point favorites in this one. This big miss for me, saying that I like them at two and a half. New England wins 38 to 15, although the adjusted score is a little bit more narrow, 22 to 16. 38 points is way too much for the Patriots. They were not that good of an offense. They were just getting... Again, these big plays that were somewhat unsustainable. Um, also, interesting play. It didn't end up mattering, but I thought it was very boomerish of Belichick to kick a field goal on fourth and one from the one-yard line. One of the worst decisions by our numbers of the week, but of course, it did not end up mattering here. Um, what else can we talk about in this game? I guess we talk about Bailey Zappi, right? Because, uh, God, talk about the quarterback controversy that we did not ever need to have. When it came to Dallas, which I don't think was ever happening. I was actually kind of annoyed by people tweeting about it last night because it's like, it's almost like the, you know, oh, I thought you said Steph Curry can't shoot sort of, you know, dunk on somebody saying like, oh, I thought Cooper Rush was going to be the starting quarterback. Now you're paying Dak 50 million a year. Cooper Rush is never going to be the quarterback. There's no, there was no controversy. There never was. It was just like an invented media thing that then like 17,000 people could dunk on when no one was actually advocating it. This could be a similar situation with, with Zappy versus Mac Jones. I mean, I don't, Zappy's fine. Like he's, he's done fine. I mean, at least he dropped back 36 times in this game versus only having 40 total dropbacks in his first two games. And he had 309 yards, 9.1 per attempt, two touchdowns, no turnover worthy plays, perfectly fine. You know, good numbers there. Um, but the Browns were making it pretty easy on him. And like I said, if you look at the yards after catch here, you know, way more than half of the yards 
that he generated were after the catch and that big play from Jonu Smith in particular. Um, but he, he's, he's doing well. I'm not going to like, I'm not trying to down the guy. I mean, he's doing great for a fourth round, fourth round, I believe, rookie selection. Uh, better than I thought. You know, I thought Sam Howell should have been taken probably before him. So he's doing better than I thought here. But, you know, there's no quarterback controversy. Mac Jones was low-key actually pretty good so far this year, the way he had been playing. On the other side, what we ended up getting, and this is what you had to be dreading the possibility of happening if you're a Browns fan, is you knew that, like, we should have been winning these games when our running game had been unstoppable every single week. Nick Chubb had been, you know, breaking all kinds of rushing expectation models with how much he's scoring there. Jacoby Brissett was playing like a top five, top six type of quarterback as far as his grading and his efficiency. You knew that that was not going to continue week in and week out, and it finally hit this week, and that's what makes the losses earlier in the season so painful is that, you're, this was going to happen in some games. Five turnover-worthy plays for Jacoby Brissett in this game. Uh, two interceptions, a fumble, a strip sack fumble. He took four sacks in this game after being pretty good about avoiding sacks so far this year. And then the rushing game, you, know, you can only do so much. You can't be great every single game. 56 yards on 12 carries for Nick Chubb, 4.7 yards per carry. Not awful, but he's not getting the multiple touchdowns. He's not getting all the attempts. Um you're not able to sustain drives. You need the quarterback to be successful to sustain drives to get more rushing attempts for your running backs. It's not just as easy as run the ball more and then you'll be good and then you'll be good and everything will work out. Not the way it works. You've got to be able to sustain those those plays. Uh, I don't think Ramondre Stevenson was like excellent in this game, but zero running back drafters like myself will take 76 rushing yards, two touchdowns, and then an additional four catches for 15 yards. That's some PPR, some PPR goodness there for uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Where do we sit after this game for these teams? Cleveland down to a 24% chance to make the playoffs. Painful loss for them here. Hardest schedule in the NFL going forward. So we know, you know, Watson will be back eventually, but they got to get a few more W's before he comes back to really have a chance. Patriots, Surprisingly, up to 43% chance to make the playoffs, and that's good for them. It's a tough number because they have basically no chance of winning the division with the Bills, but you know they have a good chance of getting one of those wildcard spots, and I think Mac Jones can step in. They're getting things figured out a little bit offensively and defensively for this team. All right, let's get to some of the late games. First, we're going to go to Seattle, where you're tied for first place fighting Geno Smith's of Seattle end up beating up and beating the Arizona Cardinals. Kenneth Walker. Walker with a move to the goal line. Kenneth Walker, and that's a Seahawk touchdown. All right, Kenneth Walker. Actually, I had a a fantasy football team with Ramondre Stevenson and Kenneth Walker. Same team. Props to me there uh Kenneth Walker with the touchdown there this was a fight for the fight for first place in the uh in the uh NFC West with the tying for first place with the Rams losing once again Cardinals were two and a half point favorites here 19 to 9 in a pretty ugly game which was very surprising because Seattle had the worst defense in the NFL coming into this game uh, as far as success rate is concerned and yet they were able to hold down this Cardinals offense, which is, you know, worry time, big time, big time, worry time here 
for Cliff Kingsbury, who, you know, who's probably going to sleep and holding on to his five-year contract extension every single night, knowing that he has that to keep him safe and warm. Uh, Adjusted score Seattle 18 to Arizona 11. So pretty similar to what you're seeing here. Both teams were kind of bad generally and you know, 30th percentile success rate for both teams, 30th percentile EPA per play. Fumbles and turnovers sunk the Cardinals in this one. Inability to convert on third down and fourth down, negative 12 EPA on those downs, although the Seahawks didn't exactly cover themselves in glory. They were also negative 10 EPA on those types of plays. And Geno Smith, slightly negative his efficiency in this game. Kyler Murray, much more negative is efficiency in this game. So to be able to sneak away with this victory is good for Seattle. It's pretty amazing that this keeps on happening, but I don't think either team is, you know, especially happy about what happened in this game. Geno Smith, only a 55 passing grade after leading the NFL so far this season, no big time throws, which ended up holding him down five sacks, six sacks for Kyler Murray, lots of sacks in this game for two defenses that hadn't exactly been generating a ton of pressure. Also, but it was really converting a high degree of pressure to sacks because they were converting almost 50% of their pressures on both sides to sacks, which ended up making a big difference. Kenneth Walker looked pretty good. Should be happy for him, for Seattle. Uh, 97 yards on 21 carries for him. And he even uh, ended up getting two catches for 13 yards. So something we didn't know if he could do coming into the season, which he ended up doing. Uh, Not a lot to talk about for these teams as far as their playoff chances. We still have them. Pretty low, although 20% chance for Seattle, so that's a 1-in-5 chance. And shockingly, 1% higher than the Cardinals now at 20%. Things are looking rough for the Cardinals. Need to turn things around. Eighth hardest schedule going forward for the Cardinals. 14th hardest schedule for the Seahawks. Not looking good in the NFC West. And uh, speaking of not looking good in the NFC West, we still got two other games about not looking good in the NFC West. First, we're going to go to Atlanta, where things are not looking good for the 49ers. Hand off, up the middle. It's going to be close for Jeff Wilson. Ball came out. Oh, it's picked up by Terrell. And it is... Touchdown! A scoop and score! A.J. Terrell! And it was poked out by Troy Anderson. Uh, scoop and score, big play there. The Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> the three and three Atlanta Falcons uh, end up making a move here, winning the game fairly convincingly, I guess you could say. Um, it was 28 to 14 and the Niners just couldn't get anything going generally. Uh, it was a weird situation where they had this like, high success rate but then they just kept on stubbing themselves in the foot whenever things got to a play that they needed to have a conversion uh let me go over the big numbers here three and a half point favorites were san francisco so actually not that big in atlanta score they had a lot of injuries though a lot of guys out due to injury in this game had something to do with this 28 14 they lose adjusted score 34 to 23 again both teams had very high success rates they just weren't able to convert as much that fumble six was hugely negative a couple of interceptions pretty negative there um jimmy g who had been so great at converting on third downs did not convert well in this game negative 10 epa on third downs versus 
positive six for the Cardinals. I'm sorry, for the Falcons, 34, 30% pass percentage, 50% under expectation. Just totally took the air out of the ball in this one for uh, Marcus Mariota, who was extremely efficient when he did uh, actually do something in this game. He had some good runs, as he always does in this game. And his passing grade was pretty good at about a 78. He just, you know, there just wasn't a lot going around. 129 yards passing because they only dropped back the pass 17 times during the game. It's going to be tough sledding for Drake London and uh, Kyle Pitts to put up numbers. I mean, Pitts got that touchdown, but maybe it obscures the fact that, again, he's putting up one of his similar three catches for 19 yards on top of that. Uh, Kittle played pretty well. Ayuk had a couple of touchdowns and played pretty well. Not getting too worried about the 49ers right now. They stand, I have them as a top five team still. 60% chance to make the playoffs, 44% chance to win the division because of how weak things have been there. But you'd like to see victories. You definitely would like to see victories like this one. And I think I mentioned before the Falcons, 30% chance to make the playoffs now. It's going to be hard to see some Desmond Ritter, as some people want to see, as long as they continue winning, even if they're basically just refusing to pass the ball. All right, let's go to L.A., where the Baker Mayfield-less Carolina Panthers came into town. And the Rams did not exactly blow the doors off here, but they come away with the W. Eason looking for the end zone. Deflected is it intercepted. It went through the hands of Jones. Diving to make the pick is Nick Scott. And an interception ends the Panther red zone threat. Yes, an interception from Jacob Eason. You know, I didn't know if you had that on your quarterback bingo card for who you're going to have to end up watching uh, toss around the ball this year. But as I mentioned, biggest point spread of the week, LA 10-point favorites. They win 24-10, adjusted score 26-12. This is more about, in some ways, the ineptitude of the Panthers than anything else. Four per- fourth percentile success rate, fifth percentile EPA per play, just bad. You have no chance of winning, basically, in a circumstance like that. Uh, But even when we go to Stafford, you know, he threw another pick six in this game. So that's how they actually ended up getting some of their points. Still ended up with .18 EPA per play. So, you know, not, not awful. Could have been a lot better. But, God, these mistakes here. Stafford, of course, continues to lead the NFL in EPA lost and no one is really close when it comes in interception so far this year. So that's something that's needed to be cleaned up with the bye week coming up going forward. Still graded okay, though, because he was pretty good outside of that interception. 72 grade for him and just uh, a pile of sadness for the Panthers with a 45 grade for Philip Walker and a 30 grade for Jacob Eason. A total of 119 yards passing, dropping back to pass 23 times. Uh, Christian McCaffrey at least did you know did something, right? 69 yards, very nice on the ground. And then through the air, he had seven catches for 89 yards. So at least he's doing something for fantasy-wise for people who have him there. But it's really looking bad for Carolina. I just really wish that um, that uh, Matt Corral never had that, that um, Liz Frank injury. So he could be playing right now and we could have a chance to see him in this one. Now, you know, Obviously, the Panthers are as dust as you can possibly get right now. They are the worst team in the NFL, according to our numbers. Even the Texans are now lapping them as far as their expectations, at least as long as P.J. Walker is their quarterback. And 
for the Rams, still have them as a top seven, eight, nine-ish sort of team in that maybe large third tier of teams. Um, 53% chance to make the playoffs, 35% chance to win that week NFC West. But man, they really need to get things figured out uh, over the bye week because this could have been, you know, probably should have been an even more impressive victory. I know there was this pick six and all that sort of stuff. Um, but things aren't going well. And obviously Cam Akers has gone, you know, AWOL now. I don't know how much that matters. They were not running the ball very well or very successfully before anyway. So hopefully they'll pass the ball, maybe a little bit more going forward. Because in this game, once again, their their run success rate was in about the 30th percentile. So not not great, not great. Um, Matthew Stafford just needs to clean up the turnovers for them to really have a chance to go far in the playoffs this year which he's bought himself. He's bought himself a lot of slack with that Super Bowl last year. So at least he has that going for him. All right, that's it. Done it all. We said it all. We reviewed it all for week six Sunday action. I will come back at you tomorrow morning to review the Monday night game. And yeah, I know we get the Broncos again. What what do you want me to say? Uh, I don't know who's doing the schedule here for everything but at least we get the chargers too so herbert divisional matchup herbert and russell wilson i'll review that tomorrow i'll preview the thursday night game i'll talk about whatever else is happening in the nfl thank you so much everyone for tuning in listening watching rate review the pod if you enjoy it click a thumbs up on youtube if you enjoy it otherwise i'll be talking to everyone tomorrow thanks so much guys 